Embrace. Come on, I taught y'all better than this. Good morning, Embrace. Okay, I got that down. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I am Tanya Torp. I am one of the associate pastors here. If you are new today, I just want to welcome you into this space. You will be welcomed personally in a little bit, uh, but we just want to welcome you into this space and let you know that we are so glad that you are here. Uh, in front of you in the pews, there are connect cards. We'd like to get to know a little bit more about you or have you meet with one of the pastoral staff to answer any questions that you might have so you can fill that out. Also, uh, we have a dedicated, amazing group of people who pray for you. If you have a prayer request, we will keep it confidential, but we will continue to pray for you um, and pray with you in your time of need. You can place that Connect card uh, either in the back. There's a little a box that says Embrace, a wooden box, or there's one over here that also says Embrace. Um, those are also the places where you can continue your worship by tithing and offering into those boxes as well. Um, also want to mention that there is an announcement sheet. If you did not get that when you came in, they're at the front and at the back. We do a lot of stuff around here, and it won't all get shared from the stage. So uh, if you read through that, you'll find out what's happening and things that you can get involved in. And then finally, I love to mention all the time that I am neurodivergent. My whole family is. And sometimes we just need a little space when it gets loud in here to just go and be able to participate, but also to kind of have some space away from the noise. So if you head to our cafe, there is a live stream of what is happening right now in this space. So we welcome you into that. I'm gonna pray for us and then hand it over to the worship team. <sighs> Father, thank you for this opportunity to be together today. There are people that are coming in carrying a lot of heavy baggage and Lord, we just pray for them that they're able to set those bags down today that we all leave this place changed. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Let's stand. We'll join together in this call to worship. Please stand as you're able. Oh, Lord, let my soul rise up to meet you as the day rises to meet the sun. Glory to the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever.
How are you feeling this morning? Yeah. God is with us. Jesus paid it 
Jesus.
We know that nothing is able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. He washed us white as snow. Let us in freedom confess the wrong we have done. Will you join me? Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. And we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us as we pray. Free us for Amen. It's the tradition of this fellowship to take a few moments to share with each other as you're willing and able and would like to do so. Share joys and sorrows. If you can find somebody near you or go across the sanctuary, whatever you like to do, let's just spend a few moments sharing joys and sorrows from this past week. Take that time to do, do so.
It was really good to be together today. Uh, what we're going to do now is dismiss our kids. Y'all can have a seat if you'd like. We're going to dismiss our children for their time of learning in the Wonder Room. This is for four years old all the way through fifth grade. And so if you're a parent and has a child with you this morning, 
and they've never been before, we just ask that you walk up with them and make sure you have the right forms filled out. But let's give our kids a hand, as they, and our volunteers as well, a hand as they come up to the front. As the kids are heading out, um, first I'll introduce myself. If I don't know you, my name is John Gallagher. I'm the lead pastor here at the church. I uh, just want to say welcome to each and every one of you who are here with us this morning. If you're visiting with us this morning, then I definitely want to say welcome to you. So glad that you're here. Um, if you want to know more about our church, if you need anything, just please let us know. You can fill out those Connect cards as well. That's a good way to, to get in touch with us if we don't get a chance to talk after service. Um, I do want to highlight just a couple of announcements for you. Um, one is I've been announcing this for a few weeks now, but we are in need of some storytellers and uh, some doorkeepers. That's the two uh, volunteer roles we have in our Wonder Room. As you can see, we got lots of kids um, in, our, in our church, and we really uh, value our children, and we think that uh, the children are um, just so, so important to us. Jesus also valued children, as I've talked about many times and so I do think one way we can follow Christ is by investing in our children. And so if you'd be willing uh, to consider volunteering in the Wonder Room, um, there's two roles. You can be a storyteller. Um, if you like that kind of role, there's a, there's a whole script to the whole thing. Um, it's, it's not super complicated or difficult. So if that sounds like something that would be appealing to you, um, that would be wonderful. Also, doorkeepers we're also needing as well. And, and they, don't, they don't tell the story. They're just there to assist and kind of be another adult um, in the room. We had to open a third uh, class for our kids because we just have more and more children, which is wonderful. Um, when I started here uh, many years ago, we didn't really have any kids in our church um, who were coming on Sundays. And we said, we want more kids in our church. And so we started praying about it. And then kids just started coming. And everybody started having babies. And it just doesn't stop. It never does. Uh, and it's just more and more and more. There's more babies coming. And so they're all going to keep growing up. And this will be a never-ending need, but it's a wonderful opportunity, and it's a good need to have because it's a sign of life and growth um, in our community. And so if you have any interest at all, we really do need some help. A lot of our volunteers have been serving in the Wonder Room for many years now. Um, some of them are likely going to need to rotate off and take a break. And so um, if you're willing to consider that, then please contact Christina. Um, her information is in the uh, announcement sheet, and you can uh, talk to her about that. Um, or you can find me, and I'll put you in touch with her. And then the next thing I want to mention is that we are going to be doing um, a Romans uh, discussion group. Um, we've realized that Romans is like, well, we already knew this, but it's really dense. There's a lot going on in this book, and we can only like kind of talk about the bigger themes in Romans. And We haven't gotten into a lot of the nitty-gritty kind of details. And so one thing we did during the pandemic is that we would always have sermon talkback sessions. And so on Monday nights, after you heard the sermon on Sunday, you could join us Monday night on Zoom and talk about the sermon, and ask questions, and give your insights and thoughts, and um, Dan Adkins was on there every single week, I think. We had great uh, time connecting together. Um, some other folks joined up with that as well, but that was a lot of fun um, to do that, and so uh, Dustin, one of our members here at the church, um, Dustin and Logan um, had reached out and talked to me about the opportunity maybe to have one of these uh, for Romans, and so it would be for the whole series, so it's an opportunity for you all to come and meet here at church before um, our service on August 6th at 9 a.m. 
just to come with your questions and thoughts and insights and just have a time to kind of talk through uh, some of the things that you have noticed in Romans as we've been studying it. And so if you're interested in that, you can talk to Dustin or Logan. Um, Dustin, I know, is here. Can you wave? Dustin's over this way. Uh, many of you all know who he is. Um, but they would, I'm not going to be here on that day, but they would be happy to, to talk with you about it. Um, and then there's some other announcements I encourage you all to read through in your email or in the announcement handout that's on the tables. Um, and then the last thing I do want to mention, I haven't told everyone this, but um, starting a week from tomorrow on Monday, um, I'm going to be taking a sabbatical for a month uh, with my wife, which I'm really excited, and Kai is going to come with us as well, and we're really excited about it. Um, ministry is really hard, and it is uh, exhausting at times. I love my job. I would not want to do anything else in the world, um, but it does take its toll, and so we've learned over the years at Embrace in my personal life and my family that taking rest and taking time to get away is important. And one thing I've found that, and you all may feel this too in your work or your life, like sometimes I, I can almost become so immersed in my job, I think that's who I am. Like I am the pastor of Embrace. Like, and, and sabbaticals and getting away and resting really reminds me, no, I'm ultimately a child of God. And, and that is my true identity. And, and being able to find that rest and that renewal um, is sustaining for me. I've been at the church now for 17 years doing a variety of different things. And so I found that in order to sustain that kind of longevity, I need to rest. And so I'm so grateful for a church that gives me that opportunity. And Laura's grateful for Common Good that gives her that opportunity as well. And so we're going to be uh, heading out. And the other staff at Embrace, all of our um, full-time staff get that opportunity as well, which is really awesome. And so y'all be praying for us. I'll be here all this week, and I'll be here on Sunday if you need anything from me. Uh, get in touch with me before Monday of next week because I will not be available for a month after that. Um, but there are people here who can help you with whatever you need, and they will take care of you. Um, we're going to enter into a time of prayer uh, like we do each week, and so I'm going to kneel at the altar. If anybody would like to join me, you're welcome to come. And we'll just take some moments just to breathe and center ourselves in silence. Maybe you've been keeping track of your children uh, for the first part of the service, or maybe just all the music and the conversations have been hard for you to kind of get centered and get focused, and this can be an opportunity for you just to settle down and be still, and ultimately be reminded that God is here with us, and God's Spirit is moving throughout this space.
Almighty God, creator of the universe, the one who is majestic and powerful and mighty and strong. who is also our friend, our parent, the one who walks with us through the ups and downs of life, and even the one who suffers alongside of us. Lord, you are beyond our comprehension. You are mysterious, and you are beautiful, and you're Confusing even at times, because you're so big and we don't understand, God, how you could love us as much as you do. But God, we just want to affirm this morning that you are good. and We've known your goodness. We've tasted your goodness. God, I've even experienced that in the few hours I've been here at church this morning. I've seen your goodness in the faces of other people here. I've heard your goodness in the sound of of guitars and drums and bass and piano and voices. I've seen your goodness in the joy on the faces of our children. Felt your goodness in the hugs from others. We thank you, Lord, that we can see and experience you here in community at Embrace every time we gather together. We are so grateful for that. I just pray for every person here this morning, and I pray, Lord, that, that, God, they would taste and see that you are good this morning, that they would experience that and feel that through the body of Christ, through this space, through all the things that we're doing together, that we would just experience you in a fresh and new and wonderful and beautiful way, that we would leave here looking more like Jesus, that we would be formed and shaped into the image of Christ as we gather together this morning. Lord, I pray you would help us uh, to just open ourselves up. Lord, we want to create space for your Holy Spirit to move and work within us. And God, I just pray that we would just be able to cultivate, uh, with the help of your Spirit, more fruit in our lives, the fruits that come from you of love and joy and peace patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. Lord, we need you. And we just want, Lord, your Holy Spirit to do a work in our lives today and to continue to do a work in our lives each and every day of our week. Lord, this morning we, we carry a lot of burdens. We carry weariness on our, in our spirits and in our bodies. We're carrying a lot of pain and grief. We've lost people we've loved. We have been scared to death by the uncertainty and the violence and the tragedies that are happening all around us all the time. We're anxious, experiencing depression and loneliness and pain. And God, we pray that you would meet us in those moments that you would come and Put your arms around us and and remind us, Lord, that you're with us and that we don't have to face it alone. We don't understand why these hard things happen. 
We don't always understand why tragedy and injustice and, and, and pain just continues to be part of our story. But God, we're clinging to that promise that you're going to be with us always, even to the end of the age. And we pray, God, that we could feel your presence with us today. And that we would know that we are not alone. And that we can walk this journey and we can even enter the future unafraid because we know, Lord, that you are there just as you're there with us right now. In these times of uncertainty and violent weather and, and extreme violence and, and just so much, God, we, we just pray that you, would be our pres- that you would be our guide, that you would help us to make sense of what's happening around us and help us to see the path that's before us. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and continue to run this race that you set out before us. And that when we go grow weary, we would be reminded that you don't and that you'll even carry us if we need it. Lord, we love you so much. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to continue to study Romans. We've got this week and next week will be our last uh, sermon in this series we've been in on Romans. Um, I know we can't cover the whole book in just seven weeks, but we've tried. So uh, made a good effort, and hopefully you've given, given some things to chew on and some think about so that you can go and study it with a little more confidence on your own in the future. Um, as we've studied Romans over the past few weeks, I'm thinking that one of Paul's main purposes in writing this letter is found in Romans 15.7. I've already read this scripture for you, but I'm going to read it again. I think this is really at the heart of what Romans is about. Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Welcome one another. I think this is one of Paul's main purposes is he wanted these Christians in Rome to welcome one another, to accept one another. As we've discussed, it seems likely that in the early church in Rome, there were a lot of different groups there. There were people who were struggling to kind of get along with each other and find common ground. And Paul His heart was about creating these multi-ethnic, diverse congregations that would come together um, because they realized that the gospel has broken down all these walls and hierarchies that we've built up in this world and that he wanted them to come together and, and worship God together as one. Paul wanted particularly the Jewish and the Gentile Christians to not just get along with each other, but to welcome each other, to accept each other, to embrace one another. To learn to live together in love and unity despite uh, their significant differences that they had in backgrounds and ethnicity and beliefs and values. You know, people have different ways of looking at Romans. You go and pick up a book on Romans, one book, and you pick up another. They may have a totally different take on this book. But one view that I've found compelling um, related to Romans is that Paul is not really 
specifically addressing individual Christians in all times and places. But Paul is speaking more about groups of Christians. I'm wondering if the main questions in in Romans is not so much how an individual gets saved, but he's really asking questions about who makes up the church. Is there a place for Gentile Christians, or do they need to become Jews first? How do these vastly different people relate to each other and accept one another and live life together in community? And my belief is that all of the theology in Romans 1 through 11 is meant to reinforce the idea that salvation truly is for all, that it is for everyone, both the Jews and the Gentiles. So our text for today is Romans 3, verses 21 through 31. I could spend probably weeks, months, even years just on these verses, Um, but I'm not going to do that. I am not going to cover it all. I'm going to talk about one particular part of it, but I want to read these verses for you. You've probably heard some of this before, but you'll see as I read it, it's a little bit complicated to make sense of some of his arguments. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God through the faith of Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, since all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. They are now justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by His blood, effective through faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over the sins previously committed. It was to demonstrate at the present time his own righteousness so that he is righteous and he justifies the one who has the faith of Jesus. Then what becomes of boasting? It is excluded. Through what kind of law? That of works? No, rather through the law of faith. For we hold that a person is justified by faith apart from works prescribed by the law? Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one, and he will justify the circumcised on the ground of faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith. Do we then overthrow the law through this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Now, if it was possible to add up the time and the sweat and the energy and the pages that have been spent debating and studying these verses, I think we would be stunned and shocked by the amount of energy that's been put into just these verses. I heard a guy say recently that these verses contain the most important paragraph ever written in any material of all time. That's a strong argument. I don't know. That's a strong statement to make. Um, If you want to talk more about these verses, then maybe at the talkback session uh, on August 6th, you can come to that and talk more about it. But for today, I want to focus on one important phrase. And it's Romans 3, part, part of 22 and part of verse 23. For there is no distinction, since all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. This verse, uh, Romans 3, 23, uh, was part of that 
uh, Romans Road to Salvation that I talked to y'all about a few weeks ago. This was one of the verses that I used when I tried to lead that young man to Christ at Ichthus. And I interpreted this verse like this. You know, Paul was addressing all of humanity, arguing that every single individual in the world has sinned. Then he later says that the wages of sin are death, or the punishment for sin is death. And so, if every single person has sinned and the punishment is death, everybody deserves to die. However, because of Christ's mercy, all people can be saved from death and spend eternity in heaven. And that is a very common reading of this verse. And what I said, there's, there's truth in that. But I'm not sure that Paul is actually talking about that in particular in these verses. I recently encountered another way of thinking of this verse that I find really compelling, and I want to share it with you. Um, and there are other ways to think about this stuff, but I, I just want to offer you up an idea. I've heard a lot of people argue recently that when you see the word all in Romans, you should consider maybe reading instead of the word all, reading the word both instead. So when we read a text like this one in particular that I think really helps us understand this, we would say, for there is no distinction since both have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, this makes a lot of sense when we understand the context, that Paul is addressing these divisions that were happening between this largely Jewish Christian group and this largely Gentile Christian group. They were judging each other, and they were struggling to welcome one another as siblings in Christ. And so essentially, Paul might be saying here that both this Jewish group and this Gentile group have sinned. Both of them have. Let me explain. In Romans chapter 1, Paul spends quite a few verses in Romans 1 talking about these kind of stereotypical sins of Gentiles. Idolatry, sexual immorality, violence, deceit, the list goes on. These, this list of sins was very typical of when Jews would describe the sins of Gentiles, they would often mention a lot of these particular sins. You can find this in other Jewish literature, actually. These were common criticisms of the sins of the Gentiles. Now remember, Phoebe was probably the one reading this letter aloud in these house churches. There were Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians in these house churches. I want you to imagine Phoebe reading this section of the letter, talking about all these sins of the Gentiles, She's reading it aloud. I imagine some of the Jews in the room were probably nodding their heads. They're like, amen, amen, sister. Those sinful Gentiles, yes, they are awful. They've been treating us like garbage. They're not good. We don't like them. And they're probably amening. Yes, those Gentiles are sinners. You are right. Paul's on our side. He sees it the way we do. I imagine some of the Gentiles in the room maybe were feeling uncomfortable as they started to hear Phoebe read about these stereotypical sins of the Gentiles. But then we move to Romans 2, and Paul then turns his attention to the Jewish Christians. And he then spends many verses addressing the sins of Jewish Christians. And he basically argues that some of the Jewish Christians who were judging the Gentiles for their sin are no better, and that they were in fact doing the very things that they were complaining about the others. And so imagine Phoebe getting to chapter 2 and the Jewish Christians who were amening uh, Paul for the condemnation of the Gentiles 
quickly started feeling uncomfortable themselves. And perhaps the Gentiles started getting excited that Paul was going after the people who were judging them. And they're like, amen, Paul, we hear you. Those Jewish Christians, those are, are sinners. Paul's on our side, actually. And then we come to Romans 3, where Paul then argues that there is no distinction because both of you have sinned, Jews and Gentiles. Both of you fall short of the glory of God. I was talking to Dustin about this this week, and, and we were wondering, maybe Phoebe scans the room, pointing at every one of them in the room and making eye contact with every individual in the room and saying, both of you, every single one of y'all have sinned. Y'all are judging each other. Y'all are looking down on the other. All of y'all need Jesus. All of y'all have fallen short of the glory of God. Do you see what Paul is doing in these chapters? I'm wondering if Paul was doing this as a way, as a strategy to try to take them off guard and try to teach them a lesson that they needed to learn. Remember, one of Paul's main goals was to convince Jewish and Gentile Christians to welcome one another. One of the main issues between these two groups was that they were judging one another and thinking that they were better than the other. So it makes sense that Paul would begin his letter showing that both groups have problems and both groups have sinned. You know, if you're struggling to get along with someone or if you're finding yourself being extra judgmental of others, Paul's advice might just be to stop looking at your neighbor's faults and start focusing on your own because you need Jesus just as much as your enemy for both of you have sinned. You know, Paul was a follower of Jesus, and I believe Paul received this wisdom straight from his master, Jesus of Nazareth, because Jesus taught this very thing to the people. In the Sermon on the Mount, one of the greatest teachings in all of history, Jesus taught this in Matthew chapter 7. He said, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly enough to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You know, I don't think this passage really needs to be explained because it's pretty obvious, right, what Jesus is saying. If you're human, you probably understand this teaching really well because we are really good at pointing out the faults of others, pointing our finger. We're really good at, being, at judging one another, and we're really bad at dealing with our own stuff, aren't we? We're very good at pointing our finger at others and not looking at ourselves. I love this quote by this guy named Dale Allison. He says, human beings unhappily possess an inbred proclivity to mix ignorance of themselves with arrogance towards others. <laughs> I love it. I love unhappily possess. This doesn't work very well for us, but it's so true that we often can be so ignorant of ourselves and our own issues, and at the same time, we can be extremely arrogant towards others. Y'all agree that we have this problem in humanity? <laughs> we point our fingers at others, we call them out, we label them, we push them away, while failing to look in the mirror 
and see our own issues. And Jesus offers in the Sermon on the Mount these transforming initiatives. He gives an action that you can take to deal with your judgmental spirit. He calls us to dig deep and deal with our own issues before we try dealing with anybody else's. Among uh, my pastor colleagues in Kentucky, over the last few years, they've tried to emphasize and, and teach us about emotional intelligence. Have you all heard of this? Um, many pastors are very gifted people. Pastors can be very talented and smart, be engaging, good leaders. However, often our problem is that we aren't very self-aware, that we don't work on our own problems and we have little emotional health. Often pastors can do a lot of harm to their churches because they haven't dealt with their own issues. And I think Jesus is calling us to dig deep, to become self-aware and deal with our own stuff. So he says to remove the plank from your own eye, and then you'll see clearly enough to see the speck in your brother's eye and be able to maybe help deal with that. You know, it's an absurd image to have a plank coming out of your eye, but Jesus is, is pushing the absurd there to make us think that obviously if you have a plank coming out of your eye, you're not going to be able to see it all, and you're certainly not going to be able to help your sibling with what they might need. And here's the cool thing, and I think really the, the liberating or the freeing thing that will happen when you do that hard work of self-examination, and it's a lifelong journey. But what I've found is that as you learn more about your own self, when you learn about your own issues, your own weakness, your own pain and trauma, the difficulties you've faced, that you'll often become a more gracious and loving and accepting person of other people. Because when you dig deep and you see and unearth a lot of that unpleasant stuff and that ugliness that exists within us, you'll have more grace for others. And you'll be less judgmental of them. Because when we realize how broken we are, how much we need grace in our lives, we'll be much more willing and ready to show up and offer that grace for other people. Perhaps we're judgmental and we're harsh and excluding because we don't fully understand ourselves and our need for grace and love. I think the church should be the least judgmental place on the planet, right? I think that that should be the case because every time we come together here at Embrace, we have a, a literal confession that we read every week, that we come together every week and affirm that we are sinners in need of grace. We come together at the communion table every week acknowledging with our hands open that we all need Jesus in our lives. We need Jesus. Church should be a place where everybody is welcome. This is what I believe Paul is doing in Romans 1 through 3. He's really trying to help these groups understand their sinfulness and that they need Jesus in their lives. They need this grace and this unconditional love and transforming love from God. And after we've done kind of that hard work of self-examination, and we're honest with ourselves, then we may be able to help our brother or sister out with what maybe they're dealing with. Jesus says that once the log is removed from our eye, then we'll be able to see our sibling more clearly. And this seeing, if we can see them more clearly, it'll help us uh, to be more gracious and kind and loving to them. Because you'll recognize that they need that same kind of love and kindness that you need, that, that they need it as well. I think part of that seeing is what our culture calls empathy, 
right? It's being able to look and try to place yourself in somebody else's position. And often we don't have the eyes to see that very well because we're, we just haven't done that work um, to have that vision. Thomas Long uh, points out that groups like AA get this right. I think church often should look probably more like an AA meeting than it does, to be honest, because when you show up to a meeting, there's honesty, there's acceptance of everybody that comes through the room. Everybody gets an opportunity to share, and you suspend judgment, and you just accept that person for where they're at. He says that those who are fighting addiction are helped most, not by people who scold and judge, but by those who have admitted their own powerlessness, those who confess that the springs of moral refreshment only come from God. And my experience is that people who've been through recovery are the most gracious and kind and accepting people that I know. And it's often because they've done that work to acknowledge and see what they need in their lives, and they've been honest with themselves, and they're able to see others with more kindness and more grace. And here's what I've been thinking over the past few years, and, and it's been freeing for me, and I hope that it can be freeing for you all as well. I've said this a few times at our church, but I often like to repeat the things I think are important, and I think this is important, that I don't need to worry about everybody else's sin, that Jesus taught this, I believe Paul teaches this, that I need to worry about my own sin, and I need to worry more about loving my neighbors. Jesus told us, Jesus, Jesus made a lot of things, I think, really clear. But often we like to complicate the things that Jesus made pretty plain and pretty simple. Jesus was trying to describe all the laws in the Old Testament. He was trying to help people understand how they can understand all the complicated laws and everything that we read about in, in the Hebrew Bible. And he says that all the law and the prophets, basically the entire Old Testament can be summed up by two things. And you all know what they are. We've talked about them many times. To love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. To love God and to love people. And Brennan Manning, I, was, I, re I revisited uh, Brennan Manning's book this week, The Ragamuffin Gospel. Have you ever read this book? Life-changing for many people. But Brennan Manning argues that there is no danger that we will over-exaggerate this call to love. He says the danger is that we will seek to moderate that command and continue to find excuses not to love fully. And I think he's right. Jesus made it incredibly radical when he said all the commands, the entire Old Testament can be summed up in the ethic of love. We're not in danger of exaggerating that. We only try to put stipulations on that. That's what we do. And so I think we need to lean into that, and we need to continue to press more and more into what that might mean for us in our lives and in our community, what it means to love radically. You know, when I became the pastor of this church nine years ago, I decided that, that I'm going to love people uh, more than I, than I judge them. And, and it's a very freeing thing when you can get to that point and say, I'm just going to love people. And, and I'm going to let, I'm going to try to come alongside folks and love them in their journey. But um, I decided that if I'm going to err on one side, then I want to err on the side of loving people too much. If I'm going to get it wrong, I'd rather over-exaggerate that part of the command and because Jesus specifically says to be very careful about judging, right? Because we get that wrong over and over and over again. But we, also, we more often fail to love the way that God has called us to love, I'm pretty sure. Um, and so I, I've talked to many people. Rob and I were just talking about this recently. But this idea that, like, when I, I get to the end of it all, you know, I've passed away. And, 
transition to this uh, new place, you know, to be with Jesus forever. And I come to, I don't know if Peter's at the gate, like holding a, you know, blocking it or whatever, looking at the list. I don't know if all that happens, but I'm envisioning if I get there. I can't imagine Jesus looking at it and being like, John, you just love people too much, you know. You should have been harsher. You should have judged more harshly. You should have pushed people away a little bit more, you know. Why didn't you come down harder on those people, you know. I just can't imagine that happening. But I do know that Jesus, and a lot of his talk of like judgment, and his, a lot of his talk about what the sifting that might happen one day, it's all confusing. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like. But Jesus does talk about how um, the things that we might be measured by at that point is, did we accept one another? Did we love the stranger? Did we reach out to the outcast? Did we visit those who were suffering? Did we welcome people into our lives? And those are the things I want to think about. Those are the things I want to press into. And I don't worry about that too much either because I know the grace and love of God is really big. And I know that God is with me on this journey. But I want to focus on becoming more of a loving person. And, and I have so much work to do. I'm, I fail at it on a regular basis. <laughs> um, but there's grace for that journey. So I encourage you all just to, you know, that, that line, all have sinned and all fall short, it just really sticks out to me that that's a humbling thing I think we all need to accept. That every one of us have our issues, every one of us falls short of that standard that, of holiness that God is calling us to, and that um, when we are willing to accept that about ourselves, then I think that will set us free to be able to love more fully, because we recognize that we're all, we're all in this journey together, and we all have room to grow. We're all on this journey of becoming shaped and molded into the likeness of Jesus. And we need a lot more empathy and love and compassion than we need that harsh stuff that churches can often uh, veer towards at times. And so I encourage you all to, to be willing to welcome your weakness. Trust in Jesus' grace and his unconditional love. I encourage you all to embrace others and love always. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. We're going to share communion this morning. and Communion is a big focus of, of this meal that we share together is on what Jesus did for us on the cross. Jesus died for the sake of the entire world. It says in John 3.16 that God so loved the world. He loved it all, every piece of it, every person in this world. And Jesus came and gave up his life for the sake of all of us because he loves us all. And ultimately, we're all coming forward confessing that we need Jesus. We need Jesus' love in our lives. We need that that sacrifice and that redemption that Jesus offers to us. And we need that grace. Um, and so uh, as you come forward today, I just encourage you all to, to just lean into that grace and know that you are loved by God, that God is there for you, that God pours out that unconditional love on you each and every moment of the day is wooing you towards himself each and every moment of the day. And also know that that same love that God has for you, God has for your worst enemy as well. And God wants your worst enemy to be whole and to be made right and to, to be loved and accepted and to be welcomed into God's family. And uh, that's pretty radical to accept that. But I think ultimately that's what Paul's trying to remind us of here. 
that even those that we struggle to get along with, God loves them just as much as God loves you. And some of you may not struggle with that. Maybe you're struggling with believing God loves you at all and you think God loves other people more than you. I want you to know that God loves you just as much as God loves everybody else here. And that God sees you as a precious child. That God wants to find wholeness and peace and life and joy. So I hope you can come forward this morning with confidence knowing that God is on your team and that God wants good things for you. Let's all bow our heads just for a moment. God, we come to you this morning just grateful for your, for your love and for your example. We thank you for uh, just the way that you came and, and entered into this world and walked among us and showed us in, in so many different ways, through your actions, through your words, through hugs, through smiles, through prophetic teaching for all the different things, Lord, you, you showed us clearly that, that you love us and that God wants relationship with us. And we're so grateful for that. And I pray, Lord, that we could accept that for ourselves and that we would be willing and able to share that love with others in our lives. Help us, Lord, to have more empathy and, and compassion for one another, Help us to have the courage to dig deep and to be honest with ourselves. Help us to be willing, Lord, to acknowledge the, the ugly parts of us, to own those, and to do that work of transformation and, and change. Lord, we need you so much, and we just pray you would meet us now as we share communion together. I pray you would pour out your Holy Spirit on this bread juice, that it would be for us the body and blood of Christ. Fill us up this morning in a fresh way, and we pray that we would leave here changed because we've encountered you, the living God. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm going to invite whoever is helping me serve communion to come on up. Here at Embrace, we take communion by forming two lines down the center aisle. When you come forward, your server will uh, rip off a piece of bread, and they will dip it in the cup for you, and then they'll hand it to you. If you'd like to kneel at the altar and pray, then the altar is open to you. I'd be happy to speak with you or to pray with you this morning. If you would like that, I'll just be over to this side. Just come find me and be happy to pray with you. I want you to know that everybody's welcome to come. If you want to know Jesus more, then you're invited to share this with us. So come as you feel led. Jesus.
y'all would stand with me for the benediction. just want to thank you all so much for being here this morning and opening yourself up to God and to each other. And so uh, if y'all prepare your hearts to receive the benediction, may the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forever. Amen. Go in God's peace. We'll see you next time.